0: In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck, in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes, and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned, after all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. As a mentor and certified coach, I help award-winning filmmakers, professional authors, ghostwriters, songwriters, and other self-employed creatives to do the same. If you find inspiration from this podcast, I encourage you to begin the next stage of your own hero's journey. Will he resist the call to adventure, or will he make the choice to embark on a quest of growth and fulfillment? In the description and show notes, you'll find a link to book your free 30-minute discovery session, or you can email me, ethan at ethanfreckleton.com, including fearless storyteller in the subject. Today's guest is Corey Huff. Corey is a marketing professional, writer, performer, and storyteller. Harper Collins published his book, How to Sell Art Online, Live a Creative Life on Your Own Terms, in the summer of 2016. Corey Huff, welcome to The Fearless Storyteller. Thank you very much for having me, Ethan. Yeah, it's it's been a while since we had a chance to connect. It seems like you've been staying busy with work and life and creative play and... How are you doing yes, in finding indeed. the balance?
1: Uh, hmm. Sometimes I like to say I don't believe in balance. Uh, I, I guess I don't really know what balance looks like or mm. uh, like saying balance sort of seems like an artificially imposed uh, thing. Like I do the things that I enjoy doing. I don't do the things I don't enjoy doing. Uh, but I'm, I am I'm also recognize that I'm in a very privileged place. I. I've worked hard to get where I'm at, but also I've had a number of breaks. So I, I mostly do what I want. Then I feel really blessed to be in that position.
0: Yeah. So that's, a, that's a really cool way to answer the question to, to say that you're doing the things you want. Um, sounds like you're living, you know, your actions are aligned with your intentions and that's an exciting thing.
1: Yeah. yeah you know, I don't, I don't have everything that I've ever wanted and i there's still lots of things that I would like to do, but I'm, working on them and heading heading in the direction of my goals
0: right and so you're talking about stuff that you'd like to do as opposed mm-hmm. to things you'd like to have and that's that's a very creative answer Indeed. in my experience yeah. um yeah so why don't you, why don't you tell the listeners about yourself
1: sure uh so i uh definitely identify as uh what emily Wapnick calls a multipotentialite. Um, or the scanner renaissance soul, uh, as other mm. authors have called it. I am um, a marketer, uh, I, but I'm also at heart a storyteller. Uh, I've been a performer since I was a little kid. Uh, I started doing plays when I was very young, and I was in a touring Shakespeare troupe in high school and got my degree in theater and have been perform- a performer all my life. And mm. that led me, of course, into marketing. Uh, and as a marketer, I've been able to use my storytelling skills to make a living for myself and then, uh, continuing to perform, uh, all over the Pacific Northwest and mm. also, uh, you know, the last few years, it's also been, uh, getting into writing fiction.
0: Right. And so sounds like you link all these activities together for yourself in some ways is is these all make sense under the same umbrella for you.
1: Sure. Yeah. If you look at it as, if you look at the through line as story, then that's where it is.
0: Yeah. I've been having this conversation with some people in a mastermind group that I'm running and, and there's definitely this consensus that like story is what you sell right when mm. you're when you're in a business and story story is what you sell when you have a book and story is what you're selling right when you have when you have anything that you're presenting right like to keep people engaged and yep. and, and make it connect and resonate and i know that you've been somebody who's been doing masterminds for a long time um and i actually came across you Maybe around the time uh, you have a nonfiction book out that that came out, what, in 2016, I want to say? Is yeah, that right?
1: yeah, How to Sell Your Art Online.
0: Yeah, and I think by accident at the time, I came across your podcast, The Abundant Artist, and, you know, I'm in the same kind of indie writing community that you're in, although I wouldn't lump your nonfiction book in that category, but... Right. I actually came across your podcast before I stumbled across the creative pen or even 20 books to 50 K mm-hmm. and, and all these things that you were talking about resonated with me at the time. And I was uh, just coming off of 10 years of being a professional songwriter and everything you were talking about made so much sense to me. And, and I've seen it playing out with books books um, just as much as with art, although I'm not personally an artist. Um, so what do you think is the overlap between running an artist and an author business in 2019?
1: Hmm. Yeah. I don't know that I've been asked that question. So the overlap is they're both writing books, making arts. They are the same. They're, They're creative activities. Um, you know, you're you're bringing something into being from your imagination. Uh, so in that sense, they're the same. Uh, the business models are very different, uh, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So the, the business model for uh, writing books is essentially sell it on Amazon, right? Or get a publisher mm-hmm. to give you a ch- check. Um, and then the business model for selling fine art has a, a, a few different streams that you can sell through galleries or you can sell it yourself at outdoor events or in your studio. Um, mm-hmm. And then you can license your images to uh companies that want to put your images on their products. Uh, so mm-hmm. there's there's a few different variations for each business model. Um, but at its heart they're they're both creative activities. And I see a lot of um similar mindset challenges for, for artists and authors, uh, the, if you, if you're really good at writing, you've probably spent a lot of time writing and Mm -hmm. you probably haven't spent very much time thinking about marketing or business. And so you may not have those skills and, Mm -hmm. uh, the same thing for visual artists. And in fact, what I will often say to people is, uh, this is true for every technician, Right, it could be a mm. plumber, it could be a software engineer, it could be anybody who has a technical skill uh, that they're good at. Uh, right, they you get good at that thing, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are good at business. It's true for doctors and dentists as well. Um, there's just there there's a little more money uh, to be mm-hmm. made in some of those <laughs> professions than others, and so it's, it might be a little easier. Maybe unless
0: you're Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm sure there are certain artists that make more than dentists.
1: Yeah. And I, that's not quite right. Maybe not the right way I put it. I'd say, um, maybe it's more publicly acceptable for socially acceptable for doctors and plumbers to make money, uh, Mm. where, where artists have this sort of starving artist mindset happening, uh, where they think that it's not okay if they make money, um, and then there's also just the fact that like there's there's an oversupply of artists. There's a the, mm. the barrier to entry to being an artist is very low. You can pick up anybody can pick up a crayon or a paintbrush and or a, mm-hmm. a word processor and call themselves uh, an artist or a writer. But right. uh, if you're going to call yourself a plumber, um, you at least got to know how to use those tools and. Uh, And you got to have some sort of track record or something in order for people to hire you Um, to be a doctor, there's licensing and you have to have those letters behind your name in order to call yourself that. So the barrier to entry to being an artist is a lot lower. And so the competition is um, the the competition is very high because that barrier to entry is so low.
0: Right. So what I'm curious about um, this all, I hope this is making a ton of sense mm-hmm. for, for listeners, but to make it a little more personal, like wh- what about your story? Right. What, and like what journey and insights led you to even think about these things and the abundant artist, right? Like what led you there, there to think like, I can help these people.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so I grew up very poor and mm-hmm. When I was in college, I was the first person in my family to go to, to go to college. So I was mm. sort of figuring a lot of things out on my own and, um, I had to work while I was in college to pay for school. And my boss one day asked me, Hey, how much money do you want to make? And I looked at him <laughs> like, I was like, what? I don't even <laughs> understand the question. And I told him 30 grand. Cause that was the most that anybody in my family had ever made. Uh, right. and he laughed at me and told me that he had made Some, you know, figure that was 20 times that uh, before in the, in the previous year. And I just couldn't even understand it. Like to me, rich people were like leprechauns, like they didn't exist. And
0: so you met, so you met a leprechaun in college. Yeah. I met a leprechaun in
1: college and he was like, (laughs) he just kind of blew my mind and sort of opened up um, ways of thinking about things that I had never thought of before. And Mm. And I had another mentor uh, around the same time who was also uh, exceedingly successful and wealthy, and so it just the way they looked at the world and thought about things and talked talked about things was very different than what I had grown up with. So that sort of started me on the journey of thinking that maybe the world was not the way that I knew it. <laughs> mm. And okay, so you- <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I graduated with my theater degree. And by the time I was entering my senior year, I had done a number of shows with some like big time professional actors, um, not celebrities, but like people that you would like people you see on TV all the time, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, and they were telling me about what their life was like and sort of the reality day to day stuff of living in New York City as a theater actor. And my wife and I thought that didn't sound like very much fun. So we moved to Portland and decided that we would go and do theater in Portland. Uh, my wife's an actor too. And, uh, be, be in Portland, be able to have day jobs, make the art that we wanted to make instead of having to do like a drug commercial or something. Uh, Mm -hmm. and that landed us here. I got a job working in marketing. Uh, it was my first job out of college and, um, and while I was working in that marketing job, I was thinking, what am I going to do with my creativity with, the, with all these creative skills I have? How do other creative people make money? I have no idea. So I'll start mm. a blog because back in 2007, uh, that's what all the cool kids were doing. If you were trying to figure yourself, figure your life out, you started a blog. And so I have all these friends that I've known on the internet for 10, 12 years. We all started blogs around the same time. And, um, And that blog eventually turned into what is now the abundant artist. It was me just like talking to creative people who were making a living and saying, what are you doing? How are you doing it? And then like even interviewing them and posting that interview as a recording like we're doing now, but that back then I didn't know it was, it was called podcasting. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we did that for, I did that for a number of years and then people started asking me to teach marketing classes Uh, and, and to do some marketing consulting because I was working in marketing for my day job and I had this blog and I was performing. And so I started teaching marketing classes to like theater companies in Portland and, uh, to artists and eventually the abundant com which is what my blog became. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's been really since 2009, since we started teaching classes and, um, Wow. And so I've had that business for more than 10 years and, uh, we've taught something like five, 6,000 artists, uh, like the basics of business, uh, and help mm-hmm. them figure out whether or not they wanted to sell their work. And then if they do want to, how to sell their work. And, um, right. along the line, I've been able to meet a lot of successful artists and learn from them and get into the. Deep into the weeds on some art businesses that are really successful, and learn how all those work. So basically, working as a um, uh, as an observer and a, and a knowledge sharer within that industry. Sure.
0: Right. Yeah. And so, what I, what I hear is like one through line in all this is you've been lucky to, whether I wouldn't I, maybe luck's the wrong word. In some way, you've managed to line yourself up with mentors who are able to share with you right generously and give you insights and help you kind of pull back that veil on how things work.
1: Yeah. I think, and
0: you sound, yeah.
1: I think it's a matter of being nosy and curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I often ask people questions and they'll be like, I don't know how to answer that. And, um, or I, I, on the other hand, I can get, I can ask people questions and get them to talk for, a very long time because i'm i'm just curious about how people think about things uh you know i had such a limited way of understanding the world when i was growing up and when i had some early revelations in my in my early 20s about the world not working the way that i thought it did it kind of blew my mind Mm -hmm. and then i just wanted to understand like what are all the ways the world works that are not the way that i think they work and i find myself Mm -hmm. uh having to shift paradigms relatively often because uh, life doesn't necessarily work the way that we think it does we get stuck in thinking in certain ways
0: yeah seldom right like we we have key events or you know we meet mentors Mm -hmm. who help us pull back that Um, so when you was this a natural transition into kind of like speaking and teaching for people or did you kind of feel like any moments of doubt or imposter syndrome
1: oh yeah imposter syndrome gets you it doesn't matter what level you're at or how experienced you are uh, I think everybody deals with that to some degree um, the teaching and speaking thing is a pretty natural thing I, I enjoy being on stage I enjoy being in front of people uh, telling stories and performing mm-hmm. um, I also really like teaching uh, it's really fun uh, I like seeing the light go on for people I like seeing take people take what I teach and doing something with it. Uh, so the, the so it was a natural fit, but certainly I've had to work at those as skills to get better at them.
0: Right. And, and so like, take me kind of like peel back that veil for me if you can, like, how do you, how do you work past that?
1: How do I get better at at teaching?
0: Well, at dealing with the mindset or the imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. Or, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, because <laughs> uh, this is like one of those universal complaints that people yeah. have, and for a lot of people, it stops them from taking action. Yeah. So, I imagine like you are a potential mentor for people who you mm. know can get past that block.
1: Yeah. I mean, part of it is so so. It, I think it works a little differently for everybody, right? Like it depends on your learning style and your comfort level with various things. Theater school for me did a lot of things, did a lot of positive things for me. And one of them was learning how to address fear, uh, Mm -hmm. as an actor, like in order to work, you are essentially going on a job hunt every four to six weeks. You, you get Mm -hmm. a job, you work on that job for four to six weeks. If you, if it's a television show, it's might be three or four months, uh, and then you're out looking for a job again. Right. So you, and and then even just doing the work itself, like you are in live in front of a room of people and your job is to make them laugh or make them feel something. And that is really, really hard. And you have to like put yourself out there and be super vulnerable. Uh, Mm -hmm and just be okay with what, with whether or not it's good, like whatever that means. Right. Right. So in that sense, going to theater school taught me that you can recover from almost anything that is scary or fear inducing, uh, because Mm -hmm. it's almost never as bad as you think it is. And it's almost never as good as you think it is. It's usually just okay. And every once in a while, it's really Mm -hmm. good. And every once in a while, uh, you you really screw up
0: right and, yeah. so it sounds like you don't you don't get that opportunity for perfectionism unless you just don't do yeah,
1: it yeah I mean I think so so writing is interesting as a new endeavor for me. I find myself dealing with um, fear in writing more than I do with live performance and part of that I think is just experience. I have more experience as a performer than as a writer, but also, as a writer, mm-hmm. you're alone in a room <laughs> and you're just like, you're, not yeah, you're, you're alone you do with it. your thoughts. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's harder to push through the fear, I think. Um, and I haven't, I don't know that I've in figured that out as well as I have with being on stage.
0: Right. And, but you are still moving through it. And so you've actually got three books published, right? So you've got, the nonfiction mm-hmm. book, which I guess sounds like it was a different process for you writing than writing fiction,
1: yeah, so. yeah, a lot of a lot of the nonfiction or a lot of how to say art online was taking what I had already learned, like what I was doing in practice every day and just putting it in a book format. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Right. Did you have help with that? Like a developmental editor or some mentoring? Yeah, I had a, I had a editor. book
1: deal with Harper Collins, So I had a, I had a mm-hmm. developmental editor, um, an acquisition editor, whatever they call them. Uh, mm-hmm. I had an editor there, uh, who was going through my stuff as I wrote it and giving me feedback. Uh, so I definitely had help there. Um, mm-hmm. And I did it really fast. Like I, I got the book deal, and I sequestered myself in an apartment on the coast in Ireland, and <laughs> and just <laughs> nice. banged it out in did the first draft in like two weeks, uh, and then did another revision in another two weeks. Um, That's amazing. And got it done really fast. Uh, and then and then there were two or three more revisions that took you know the, probably through the next couple months as we were fine tuning things, mm-hmm. but. Uh, that, that came really fast because I was already living it every day.
0: Yeah. Right. And was it hard to deal with criticism or, um,
1: I'm not too precious about my work. Uh, I don't, I, I've never thought of myself as the smartest person in the room or that my ideas are all that unique. Uh, so mm-hmm. if people criticize my stuff, like, yeah, sure. Sometimes it hurts, but I'm, I'm not too precious about it.
0: Hmm. And again, you think that traces back to the theater school and just the repetitions of doing work in front of others and getting feedback. Yeah, that's
1: part of it. I also think I haven't had like a big public success story, right? Like I'm not famous.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: I I, like I can't imagine the imposter syndrome or the paralyzing anxiety that would come from being like J.K. Rowling or something. Like your your first Mm -hmm. thing is. This enormous success, right? And I know she took she took right. years to get there, but the first thing that actually got out was an enormous success. Like, what is she can, possibly going to do really. from there?
0: Um, so this 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 word success mm-hmm. comes up, right? Like um, the subtitle of that nonfiction book mm-hmm. is "Live a Successful Creative Life on Your yeah. Own Terms," and we're talking about J.K. Rowling's success, and obviously, success in that case the external success we saw was like epic book sales that continue through Mm -hmm. today. And she's like a billionaire, but what is success for you?
1: So for me, uh, I made the decision pretty early on that success for me is a life of service. Um, Mm. that I have the time and freedom, the control over my time and and control over my finances that I can live a life of service. Um, mm-hmm. my wife and I are both very active in our church. Uh, I teach Sunday school and I do, I'm deeply involved in, uh, my church's community outreach committee. Uh, we do a lot of supporting, uh, homeless organi- like organizations that work with the homeless and, uh, disaster mm-hmm. preparedness and things like that. And so I, I want to be able to do more of that. Uh, today I went and coached a group of, uh, young uh, college students on storytelling for a nonprofit fundraiser they're doing for the Carpe Mundi foundation. Mm. Um, I just want to be able to go cool. out and give service and and help people where I can. Uh, and all the work that I do, uh, enables that. And the creative stuff I do just sort of feeds my, my need to be a creative person.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it sounds like you have a similar thoughts about success somewhat similar to myself right which is if i'm able to spend my days doing what i want to Mm do right if i'm living with my actions aligned with my intentions and making those hard choices right to say no to things that may not work that don't work Mm -hmm. for me even if they right like to have that time to have an impact to be happy and satisfied with what i'm doing. And the choices I'm making sounds like similar for you.
1: Yeah. I used to be really focused on the freedom aspect, right? I I, I built my business Mm -hmm. uh, in such a way that it would give me time freedom. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I, and I worked on my own for six years uh, just working from home and, and running a very small business with just a couple of employees. And I, I took really full advantage of it. I traveled a lot. I did a lot of stuff. And Mm -hmm. the last couple of years, my attention has been turned to doing work that matters rather than doing the work I want to Mm -hmm. do, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah. So I, have been looking more at how can I partner with people? How can I be a part of a larger organization or group of people who are doing important work? That's going to positively affect people's lives.
0: Right. And I'm gonna tie this in for, for a moment with the writing. So do you find that with the fiction you're writing, is there any intention of kind of tying in that beneficial piece, like right? making a difference, making an impact with your stories? Does that show up for you?
1: Sorry, say that again.
0: Um, so with your fiction that you're writing, all right? Um, you've got a couple fantasy mm-hmm. novels, looks like in a series, right? Um, an argument of fairies and the unkindness of ravens and does your desire to do beneficial work right, and to be of service does does that carry over into your writing
1: hmm that's an interesting question it's really hard to answer those questions about your own work uh...
0: <laughs> yeah I, I ask one reason I ask is because one of your hmm. reviewers uh, who definitely enjoyed your book Described it as a fantasy novel with awesome females, (laughs) and so I was I was curious, you know, like you know how that how your beliefs and and your mission plays into the creative process, if at all, like how you yeah, I mean, certainly they're worried about. There
1: are like I like heroes. Um, I'm I mean Mm -hmm. I, I there are books that I enjoy with anti heroes and bad guys as the protagonists and stuff. Like those are fun. But if I'm given my choice, I prefer people who are heroes, people who are actively doing good. Um, you know, I, I Mm -hmm. like Lord of the Rings for that reason, because Aragorn and, uh, and Frodo are heroes. They're actively trying to do good. Like they're flawed and they have their struggles, but, Mm -hmm. uh, I want people who are, the world needs more of that, uh, I think mm. the, the, you know, the, the blackguard paladin or the uh, vampire tortured hero character is just not my cup of tea. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So you say the world needs more of that. And does that, I've, I've noted just from being friends with you that you're, you're pretty outspoken on a number of social issues. Like, Like, what is it that you think children need today? What messages do they need to hear? So
1: I should say I'm not a parent. Uh, So when I say, when you ask, what do children need? um, I, my only contact with children is I I teach Sunday school, right? And I have, I have nieces and nephews, right? right? But I don't spend every day with little kids. So uh, that said, what do children need? I, I think people in general, need inspiration. They need uh, mm-hmm. good examples. They need people who care about them. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, a real this, the current young generation, like the kids under 20 are experiencing mm-hmm. uh, astronomically high rates of anxiety and suicide. And there's a lot of discussion among psychologists and parents and other people about why that might be. Uh, But whatever the cause is, people need help. They need somebody to love them and care about them. Um, I asked my Sunday school class once a few weeks ago, earlier this year, um, about this anxiety thing and why, you know, what, what can the adults in their lives do to help them? And they said, it would be great if the adults in our lives didn't make fun of us for having anxiety. Right. Mm. And Mm -hmm. that struck me as deeply sad and really cutting and telling uh, about the adults in those kids lives. Um, And these are kids from uh, our, our church congregation has a variety of socioeconomic and uh, ethnic backgrounds. So I think it cuts across Mm -hmm. most strata of society
0: Right. So it's yeah, a commonality. I think so.
1: I think yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and to hear, you know, a kid from a upper middle-class family who theoretically has all the advantages say that, you know, one of their biggest challenges is that the adults in their, the adults in their lives make fun of them for feeling anxiety is kind of mind blowing to me. Yeah.
0: Right. So I, I wrote down a word earlier you used from what you kind of learned from your theater background, which is how to be vulnerable. And it seemed, you know, in that conversation you're, you're talking about there, right, like a lot of that making fun of somebody for having anxiety is, right, it's almost like an attempt to shut down somebody's vulnerability. Yeah, I don't
1: know what it is. I right. think uh, vulnerability makes us feel things And um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when we feel things we react to it like we don't know how to process our own emotions. And so we try to shut it down so that we don't feel things anymore. And I think uh, a a lot of adults see the problems that kids have as not valid problems, right? Uh, As adults, we've, we've learned Mm -hmm. how to navigate the world. We know how to remove ourselves from bad situations, or we know how to speak up for ourselves and advocate for ourselves Uh, but kids, even older teenagers don't necessarily know that. Like they're still learning and their problems are significant problems to them. Even if somebody else knows how to do that. Right. So it's, it's a little weird to make fun of somebody for having a problem instead of just helping them figure it out.
0: Right. Well, and you know, as adults, we, we've learned right strategies whether the strategy is to find safety through isolation right and and withdrawing or there's you know a different approach which is that vulnerability and trust piece which is perhaps the longer road Um, and yeah it sounds like kids are craving that permission to have To have that vulnerable space. I think the
1: kids would really like to, Yeah. yeah, would really like to be able to connect with people. And that's hard.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, and I see it, you know, as it ties into the work we do, you know, I, I coach creatives and you've for a number of years been coaching creative people and a lot of these limiting mindset beliefs, right? they have their roots in childhood and those patterns that are taught um, and kind of have to go through this process of finding mentors to help deprogram that, I guess. Yeah. And so, so for somebody who's listening to this and, and is craving to find that permission to work past that imposter syndrome, to learn how to be vulnerable, um, to dare to be successful on the terms that you've defined it. Um, what advice do you have?
1: Hmm. So I really, I'm a big fan of, uh, the idea that like, like the, I think creatives are very susceptible to the follow your passion or follow your bliss, uh, quote from Joseph Campbell. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think there's some value in that, uh, in, in figuring out what you're passionate about and then finding a way to head in that direction. Um, at the same time, like you don't get paid for your passion unless you have a skill of some kind, nobody's going to pay you to be passionate about something. So theoretically you need some sort of skill that people are willing to pay you for. Um, And I, there's a great book called uh, deep work, uh, which I really love where Cal talks Mm. about uh, the need to like get actual work done and not wasting time on distractions. Uh, And I saw him speak a few Mm -hmm. years ago um, at a conference and he, he told the audience, it was an audience full of people that were there for like this inspirational conference. And he was, it was such it was so weird to have him there because everybody else was talking about how you can follow your dreams and you can do it. And then, and then Cal was uh, essentially saying like, follow your dreams, but make sure that you, know how to do something people will pay you for. Um, and then what you do is you, once you do know how to right. do something, people will pay you for, you leverage that into whatever you want to do next. Right. Um, so like, I, I, this right. is, I just want to share and, this example. Like, so I listen to, uh, the good yeah, place podcast please. and the good place is the best show, okay. maybe the best comedy that's ever been written. It's genius level writing. Um, and, Mm-hmm. The showrunner uh, was or, or rather huh. okay, so the showrunner is, is Mike Schur and he created the show and the, this fourth season is being filmed right now. And on the podcast, uh, they're talking to a couple of the people from the show and they're talking about the fact that um, people who were line producers in uh, the first couple seasons are now getting to direct episodes of the show. And a line producer is, mm. um, not a, it's not a sexy job. It's not a, it's not an exciting creative job. It's a, it's the job. Yeah. It's the project manager it's kind of, of the film, project yeah. manager. Uh, of, of film. And you know, you got to know where everybody's supposed to be and that the script is being followed on all the logistics for filming are in place. Um, but some of the line producers mm. from the first season of the good place stuck with it long enough, four years, to get an opportunity to direct a single episode and because they stuck it out and they're going to get this opportunity, it means that a whole bunch of other opportunities are going to open up for them, assuming they do a good job. And I see that happen a lot. Like if you're going to be an artist, like have a day job that pays your bills so that you can use that money to reinvest in your art business. Right. Right. Um, and then of course it's a mix right. of, or it's a balance of making sure that you're making enough money to reinvest, but you're not working so much that you don't have the energy for the art. So it's, you know, it's hard. It's not, there's mm-hmm. no easy path to get to where every artist wants to be. Um, when I right. got, when I graduated from college and I had my first job, I was working eight hours a day and then I was rehearsing in the evening. Right. So I'd be done at work at four or five and then I'd be at rehearsal at six and I'd be there till 10. Um, and I did that for years. I did that for, I don't know, five or six years, uh, before I started to see Mm -hmm. like money that was significant. Uh, and also I was moved up to a position that was significant enough that I didn't have every moment of my time dictated to me. And, um, I graduated from college in 2007 Mm -hmm. and quit my day job in 2013. So what is that? Six years um, before I was able to Mm -hmm. quit and do things on my own terms.
0: Right. And the word that keeps coming to my mind is apprentice or apprenticeship.
1: And there's no, there's no, there's very few apprenticeships in the arts. You basically have to go, look for somebody who you admire and just sort of pick apart their career and figure out what they did.
0: Right. And sometimes there's organizations that can help depending on what your creative passion is. Like for me, my, my introduction to craft the idea of craft, because that's the other word that keeps coming to mind is you have a passion about doing something, whether it's painting or making a movie or a book, but there is a craft involved and and it's not an easy thing to learn. You need mentors, you need teachers, you need practice. you need to be getting feedback, right? You got this journey to get good at what you do, good enough for somebody to pay you. And so I know for songwriting, right? like there was a great organization I was I joined called the Nashville Songwriters Association. And that's where I got to like learn the craft of songwriting. You know, I had to pay, seek it out and pay for it, right? A little bit and invest a lot of time and, you know, listening and practicing and humility. And it sounds like for you, like that happened with theater and having these mentors, right? And these apprenticeships. And I think that's the, the maybe a call to action for anybody who wants to be serious about it is find that place to grow. And have mentors and be an apprentice. Does that sound like anything like, you would add to that?
1: Yeah, I mean there are organizations. Um I think writers have a more formal set of organizations. Um for mm-hmm. But I, I, even then, I feel like the writing organizations are really good at helping you figure out the writing part. But as far as the right. rest of it, yeah, the, the marketing piece, Not the, the business marketing side. Piece. Um, and this is true for the fine art industry as well. Like The business side of it is stuff that people don't talk about anywhere near enough, and so a lot of these organizations get taken over by strong personalities who think that you can't make a living as an artist or that artists shouldn't make money. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's really interesting. Like I have had over the years, uh, various people tell me that I'm doing artists a disservice that that they should only be creating art and mm. not worrying about the business stuff um because it it takes attention away from making art and that's true it is it it does take attention away uh, Interesting. but the reality is if you want to make right. a living from your work you can't just make work you also have to tell people about your work right
0: right and i, I guess that's the distinction right is why are you creating you know, if your intention is to make a living creating, then there's not only do you have to master your craft of doing creating the work, you have to master the craft yeah. of
1: and marketing and the work. You don't have to master it to the same level that your art is at, right? Because you you get good at selling your work and mm-hmm. eventually you make enough money to hire people to take over some of that stuff for you. But it it's really fascinating mm-hmm. to see how been out of shape people get about this stuff. And like with publishing, um, you know, a lot of the writing mm-hmm. groups, the awards groups like the Nebulas or the Hugos or some of the others, like they up until what, two years ago, they weren't even awarding, uh, prizes to indie authors. Right. It was really weird. Um, right. Now, there's a lot of garbage in indie publishing, but there's there's been good quality writing in indie, pub, indie publishing for years as well, and so it's a little weird that they're so right. far behind. And there's still stories of you know indie writers getting nominated for awards and then getting treated like pariahs when they're at the award ceremonies. Like it's the mm-hmm. non art side of being an artist is full of drama and strangeness.
0: Mm, I I guess it could be. Um, I imagine there's positive ways to approach it as well. Yeah, there are. Um, And my, 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 my meta thought here is really, especially speaking to somebody like you, who's kind of this marketer, right. And understands the business side of the art and creativity is, I think there's the opportunity to kind of apprentice on that side of the business as well. Right. Like you're learning how to do the craft of writing or painting, but you can also seek out mentors for how to like how to sell your stuff right? or at least how to test it out and see if you can. Yeah. 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 So you have any, um, do you have like any kind of last insights or more tips or just <laughs> good happy thoughts to share with um, with our with our listeners
1: you know've been I've been listening to a lot of uh, I've been talking to a lot of old people lately <laughs> talking to and listening to a lot mm-hmm. of old people um, I just had my 20th high school reunion and my 20th uh, mission reunion. Um, all happened. They both happened within a week of each other. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I just happened to hear an interview with Julia Cameron, uh, on, on, uh, some mm. podcast that I can't mm. remember the name of right now. Oh, on the good life project. And I feel like one of the things that I'm taking away from listening to older creatives, and I'm talking about Julia Cameron's in her seventies now, um, Right. These these people have a long enough view that the stuff that we feel really is a big struggle to them is all in the past, and it is not a big deal to them anymore. Right? Uh, Julia Cameron was mm-hmm. addicted to alcohol and mm-hmm. cocaine for ten years. And that happened 30 years ago and she barely mentions it in the interview. (laughs) It's just not, it's just not like it was, it was important Mm -hmm. and it was difficult and it was hard, but it was something that happened. And now, you know, it's been whatever it's been 40 years since the artist's way came out and she's moved on to do, you know, she's published a couple dozen books and done so much writing and published so much. that's kind of, staggering and, Mm. uh, and I feel that way about other, other older creative people that I've seen too. They just, you just keep doing the work and you know, you live your best life and try to enjoy yourself the best you can. And if you're doing the work, good stuff comes.
0: Hmm. I like that, Corey. Uh, if you Why want to people find just reach out stuff? to me
1: directly, uh, com is probably the best spot. Uh, that's C-O-R-Y-H-U-F-F. Uh, if you want to learn about The Abundant Artist, you can head over to TheAbundantArtist.com if you're a visual artist, painter, sculptor, or anything like that. And that, those are probably the best two ways to reach me. Awesome. Thank, Thank you very much. It's been, it's been a pleasure a, to a talk with you. a good conversation.
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.